Luke chapter 8, what verse did I say? What verse? 43. How many of y'all are at Luke 8, 43? Everybody ready? Let's go. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no health care. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe. Your Bible might say border. Your Bible may say him. But she touched the fringe of his robe. And immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked in verse 45. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, somebody deliberately, would you say that with me, deliberately? Somebody deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Are you with me this morning? I said, are you with me this morning? For he felt healing power go out from me. Verse 47. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Notice verse 48. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. I know this is going to be a very unique sermon title, and I hope that you don't look at me as if I'm just too childish or elementary. But I want to talk for the next 15, maybe 20 minutes on the title subject, Touching God in a Touchless Day. Touching God in a Touchless Day. Would you repeat that after me? Touching God. I don't even hear about five, six people. I, I know we have more folk here than that. Come on, say it with me. Touching God, Touching God in a Touchless Day. Let's try one more time. Touching God in a touchless day. Uh, during this quarantine time at home, due to the global pandemic our world is currently facing, we've all grown accustomed to being away from the social norms of life, whether it be at our current work environments, social outings, get-togethers, fellowships, even worship services for many online that are at the local church. We're now in this new norm that we all call social distancing. But I want to remind you, as I did a few weeks ago, that social distancing is not necessarily social isolation. Social distancing does not have to equate to social independence. May I say that again? Social distancing does not necessarily mean social isolation or social independence. Though we are in this unique season, we have to be extra careful of, and extra cautious of, of who, or let me say, what we touch, where we touch, when we touch, but it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean who we touch or how we touch. My concern is that we have all been unadated in this touchless society well, we may have lost the very importance of touching God, touching man, and God touching man. Uh, because of social distancing, 
I'm concerned that some have taken it too far. And now we're socially isolating. Let me say that also. I'm concerned that social distancing has now turned in to social independence. I thought about something Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5. You may want to write it down. 1 Peter 5, 8. The Bible says, be careful, excuse me, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone. Notice, someone. He's not looking for the crowd. He's not looking for the congregation. He's not looking for the church. He's not even looking for a small group. But he's looking for someone who is independent, isolated, and they've distanced themselves so away from the word, so away from the fellowship, so away from one another. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that, that someone he can devour, he can destroy, he can distract, he can divert. So Peter gives this warning. He says, resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You're not the only one who feels distant from the word of God. You're not the only one who's had the struggle in your mind that you don't feel connected to the church. You're not the only one in these last three and a half, four months who felt some distance from God. Let me talk to you as a pastor. Let me talk to you as a man of God. Got saved in 1988. I've had moments even in these last three or four months saying, God, hello, ha uh, hello, God, you are still there, right? Okay, all right, I understand that, you know, this is happening here and and we've got the civil unrest there, and we've got bigotry and hate and racism here, and then we've got the Infada there, and we've got the Antifa here, and God, oh, uh, hello. And we're seeing people dying, and we're seeing record numbers of things happening, and unemployment, and uh, you, you are still there. Now, you all may not talk like that from time to time, but I got to recognize and realize that even on our worst day, God is still God. Even when we don't understand, he's still got, I, uh, I feel like I'm talking to myself. But that old lying wonder, the devil, will come and say, all oh, that prayer is in vain. All this time of believing God is in vain. All this and all that and the other. But how many of you all realize that thanks be unto God, who always, right, causes us to triumph. He gives us the victory. And so I want to remind every one of you today uh, the importance of touching God in this touchless society, this so-called temporary touchless culture. What does it really mean to touch the Lord in this season? I won't be long. What does it mean when God touches man? And how important, and I close, how is it important for man to touch man? Now, let me say this. I did, did a little reading this past week. And it, it didn't take a rocket sign to realize this, but... Every major relationship expert would concur that touching is very important to the person. Whether it's the touch of a spouse, an affirming touch of a close friend, a touch of an immediate family member, touch is vitally important and essential. 
physical and affirming touch is not only important and essential, but whether it, again, be with your spouse, your sibling, your parent, even in the church, whether it's a hug, an embrace, a high five, there's something about touch for the pastor, for the evangelist, for the preacher. What about the laying on of hands? What about our small prayer circles? You know how we like to get real close in a real quick circle and pray together and spit on each other and breathe on each other. And it, 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 it don't feel like it's spiritual unless we're real tight on one another in that huddle. But what do you do in a season when you're encouraged not to do that? Being in Milwaukee this past week and being a part of some of these virtual conferences the last couple of weeks, I was blessed to lead a, a discussion with pastors and leaders all over the country as it relates to our national pastors and elders council. And there's a divide. There, there's a huge divide. There are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors who, who not only are they not meeting in person, they refuse to meet anytime soon. There have been notable ministries who said, we've already written off the rest of 2020. And we're now wondering whether we're going to come back in 2021. And I understand for a lot of our churches, particularly up in the north, where we lost a lot of saints in the north. And a lot of that was because back in January and February, when they should have started social distancing, they kept gathering even closer and closer and closer. And I'm talking about from the top to the bottom. People started dying left and right. And so I can understand the phobia and the fear and the extra caution. And now we have these hot spots in the South, whether it be Georgia, Florida, Texas, Arizona, or the like. And somewhere in all of this, every church has to make a spirit-led decision. And that decision cannot be based on popularity. We, well, we just so happen to have the opportunity to have enough square feet where the social distancing here is probably greater than any Walmart you've been in the last three months. Uh, nobody over here said amen. I didn't mean to look that way. Let me go over here and talk to the folk over here at Lowe's and uh, Home Depot. Well, I better not say that because somebody's in the back at Home Depot. I was joking with him the other day. I ain't heard from him since. So her, I mean, uh, so I won't say that that here. Uh, but but uh, uh, for those of y'all hanging out at the swimming pool, in the pool, right? Church is fried chicken, lying out the door. Nobody's paying attention to the tape six feet on the floor. So we've had, we've had the privilege of not only having square feet, but we paid the extra money to bring in COVID-19 protocol cleaning. We have the health nursing staff to make sure and, 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 and somewhere in all of this, yes, we're people of faith. But make no mistake about it. We are also here to comply by the wisdom of our health and science and whoever else is making some of these major decisions. And I've made it very clear that if we are regressing in our city, if our state regresses and goes back in the lockdown, we'll be the first to be good examples. And so we've always made sure that there's no pressure for those who are here or for those who are online. We're not that type of church that's duplicit and hypocritic, hypocritic, hypocrites. What's the word I'm trying to look for? What's the word I'm looking for? 
hypocritical, self-righteous, holier than thou, make you feel like you're not as spiritual online if you can't come to church. You've not heard that in this ministry from me or any leader or any preacher or anyone for that matter. You have choices and options, and we're blessed. When I, when I think about so many who work hard on the weekends, you're not so much appeasing the crowd in the church. You're really making this happen for those who are online. And for that, we're all appreciative. But how do you continue ministry with the fear of thinking, we may be here for a while? And some of our dialogues are talking about pastors who are going into mourning, mentally going into mourning. Many of you all will not be able to relate to this, but I can. Because for most pastors, their whole world evolves around Sunday morning. They say in pastoring, y'all with me? They say in pastoring, you give a baby, you have the baby on Sunday, only to realize you're pregnant on Tuesday. And it happens over and over and over. So the crescendo of most ministries is Sunday morning. But when you take away the church experience Sunday morning, you take away the pulpit, the preparation, all of that, right? There's not really a lot else to depend on. So there are all type of interwoven things that are happening in the culture of the church we must pray about. I want to talk about what it means to touch heaven, to touch God. How does God touch man? And what is important for man to touch one another? Let's get started real quick. So, so, so I, I believe that man was made for touch. There's not a husband in this room who would not agree. Hello? I thought I was in the right church this morning. There's not a woman in the room, excuse me. There's not a wife in the room who would not agree that she was made for physical touch. Okay? It's a reality. And not just physical touch, emotional, mental, spiritual. But we're in a society where we're not to touch. What does that really mean? In Luke chapter 8, there are two or three practices and principles I want to leave you with. The Bible says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, he touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. But here's what's important. The Bible says that Jesus asked a question. Now, you all realize, right, he's not going to ask a question he didn't already know, for he knows everything. But he was preparing for a sermon for the world to read and to hear. He asked the question, who touched me? And everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressed. Your Bible probably says thronged. In other words, there were so many people pressed up against you. How is it that you could distinguish one person's touch? But Jesus said, somebody deliberately touched me. For that person, it wasn't enough to touch the disciple. It wasn't enough to touch the rock. It wasn't enough to touch something material. But they had to press their way to touch Jesus. Now, they may not have ever touched his skin. They may not have touched his hair. They may not have touched his feet. But they touched something that was touching physically him. Let's keep reading. I felt the healing power go out of me. Let me give you two or three thoughts real quick, all right? Number one, there's a very vulnerable place when the professional medical staff doesn't have the answers. 
we are all living in experience right now where the world does not yet have an answer for COVID-19. We're now living, we got answers for everything else. We can go to Mars, we can put man on the moon, we can, we, we can, we can come up with all types of rations and theories or, or, or scientific expertise and all of this wonderful intellectual property and data. But we don't have a clue at this point for COVID-19, and I believe we will one day. But what happens when you go to the doctor and the doctor's not quite sure how to give a remedy for your situation? It must be a very daunting season to live in, to have to wait weeks on end for the medical staff to come back with some type of solution. Here we see a woman whom the Bible says she went to every doctor, every healthcare profession. She was in a vulnerable place because there was no help. Number two, she touches the border, the hem, the fringe. You, you know I've done a teaching on this before, the talith or the prayer shawl that Jesus would have worn, okay? And so many other references, whether it be Matthew, Mark, or Luke, we find out uh, it wasn't just a hymn like that we see on a pair of blue jeans. It wasn't a hymn that you see on the bottom of a skirt, but it actually it would have been the talith or the prayer shawl that Jesus would have worn under his outer garment. And to this very day, when you see most people in the Jewish orthodoxy or in the Jewish custom, you see the four, excuse me, not four, you see the strings that are hanging from the prayer shawl that they will wear under a jacket or under the outer garment. She touched that prayer shawl because she knew that in that prayer shawl, you remember the teaching, in that prayer shawl, every major disease and sickness, all 39 categorized sicknesses ever known to man, was in that pressure, was in that garment, was in that border or in that fringe. Uh, but more importantly than that, Jesus says, not just that somebody touched me, but somebody deliberately touched me. In this COVID-19 season, stay with me real quick. In this COVID-19 season, you're gonna have to be very intentional, very deliberate to touch the Lord. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Then he says the power, the power, of healing has gone out of me. Can you imagine what that scene must have looked like? I won't be long. Stay with me. Stay with me. Can you imagine a crowd? I mean, when we're saying a crowd, we're talking about a crowd. Can you imagine people everywhere? And it's hard to walk a straight line. There's people, oh, oh there's the key is he's in the tree, right? There's all type of people climbing on things, up and down, left and right, back and front. And it's almost like a boxer coming down the center stage at the main fight. The entourage, the people, the uproar, the crowd. But somebody deliberately got them. I want to talk about three principles that I pray stays with you all week long. Principle number one, as the body of Christ, the local church, I believe that this is the finest season that we should be touching God. What do you mean by touching God? We touch God in our worship. We touch God when we're on our knees in prayer. We touch God when we decide to open the Bible and read, not just historically, but we read the relevant principles. What are principles? Timeless laws that will not change except a miracle from heaven. That we touch God with our feelings, with our thoughts, watch this, with our time, 
with our intention, okay? Everything is different for us today. If you, have, if you don't have more time than you've ever had, something could be wrong. What does it mean to touch God? Uh, I thought about Luke chapter 6, verse 17. The Bible says, and he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea, Jerusalem, and all of the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Notice this. As they all were tormented with unclean spirits, and they all were healed, and they all were healed. Friends, there's not a sickness in this room God does not want to heal today. In fact, there's not an illness in this room that God can't heal today. There's not a concern. There's not a worry. There's not a problem. There's not a dilemma. There's not an issue that God can't handle. You have to be real. I woke up early this morning, and I can hear the word of the Lord reminding me, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I like it in the contemporary version. Cast your cares on him because he cares about the things you care for. Could it be that God who is so big, who is sovereign, who's all-powerful, actually cares about the things that little old me cares about? Could it possibly be the thing that kind of on my mind he really takes notice of? I thought about John 15 when the Bible says, abide in him and his word abide in you. You can ask for what you desire. Let me say that again. If I would abide in him, the word abide, if I would dwell, if I would make my daily practice, my daily living, my daily thought life, if I could be really in him and his word be in me. There's a difference now. If I would live in him, right, and his word live in me, he made me a promise. You can ask for what you desire, and I will bless you. I will give it unto them. I thought about Jesus when he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary, who are heavy laden. I don't know if there's ever been a more wearied and heavy laden season such as this. You know, you can learn from me, Jesus says. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight. My yoke is easy, and my burdens, well, they're not like the world's burdens. My burdens, they are light. Huh? So I'm thinking through this season what it means to touch heaven. When we come to worship, when we come to service, i got to be very careful not to come into the sanctuary with business on my mind, with chores on my mind. And I can do that at North Lake Mall. I can do that at home. I can do that when I got to go pay a bill or what have you. But when I come to the house of God, I got to be reminded there is no place as sanctified, as holy, as righteous as the house of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Uh -huh. I don't care if it's that door, that door, that door, upstairs, the elevator, if I got to come through the crawl space, whatever I got to do, when I come to the house of God, I'm entering with Thanksgiving. Enter his gates with Thanksgiving, right? 
We come into the sanctuary, his courts with praise and be thankful. How do we touch God? Turn to me real quick, Hebrews chapter 4, real quick. Hebrews 4, verse 15. And I love reading this out of the King James Version because it actually uses the word touch. Hebrews 4, 15. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Your Bible might say sympathize who cannot sympathize or who cannot sympathize with the feelings of our infirmity. That lets me know that it's not just a physical touch, but it's also a spiritual touch, an emotional touch, a, 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 um, a, a touch from heaven, a spiritual touch, right? For we have not a high priest which cannot be, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But with all points, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Notice verse 16. We have to take note of verse 16 because it starts with the word therefore. So it's really impossible to read 15 without connecting it to 16. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we would obtain mercy, find the grace for the time that will need it the most. Let's put the two sentences together. We do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he was tempted at all points, yet he knew no sin. Therefore, when you come to God in prayer, when you come to his throne, let us come boldly. What does that mean? Let us come with confidence. I know we grew up in the church. Oh, we heard the old Baptist preacher, right? You heard the old Baptist deacon. Lord, this is deacon so-and-so. And I come as humbly as I know how. Well, deacon so-and-so need to read Hebrews chapter 4 and 16 because the old Bible said, don't come humbly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, I understand humility. We all need humility. But in this context, you don't need to come to God doubting. You don't need to come to heaven's throne, not quite sure who you are in him, who he is in you, and what it is you're asking for. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you would obtain mercy. Now, notice, it didn't say you would find mercy and obtain grace, but you would obtain mercy and find grace. There's already mercy at the seat if you're ready for it. All you have to do is receive it. Grace, if you look hard enough, you'll find grace for every good work. Why? Because we touch him when we come to pray. You may not realize it. The enemy's fighting your mind when you get on your bending knees. But the Bible says that Jesus often got up early in the morning while it was still dark. He understands the 5 a.m. club, I see. Jesus understood before the break of day why it was important to go to a solitary place when it was still quiet, with no distraction, no diversion, and he would pray. So who am I? to go on my knees and pray and doubt that God can't answer. Bible says Paul, Acts 22, 21, he, when he got with the brethren at the seaside, he felt, he felt on his knees and he prayed with the brethren. Why? Because he was touching God. And in this touchless society, may we never underestimate the power 
of worship, of prayer, of touching heaven. When you pray, you're touching God. When you read your Bible, you're touching God. When you lift your hands and you worship and you, you weep before heaven, you're touching God. And I believe he takes notice of that. Number two, what does it mean to touch one another? Excuse me, number, what does it mean for God to touch man? The Bible says in Mark 10, 13, just write it down, Mark 10, 13. And then they brought little children to him that he may touch them. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Let's not underestimate our children, our youth, in this pandemic season. No one will be tempted more with mental struggle than our young kids of color. We're not sure if they're going to be in school or not. And you know they get in trouble as it is already with eight, nine, ten hours of school every day. How much now want with no kids, no school hours? We thought we were the last key generation back in the 80s and 90s when mama had to work two jobs, daddy had to work overtime, and we basically raised ourselves at home. But now we're in a season where you're going to have to eventually go back to work, and your child might be at home. Well, what would happen if you brought your child to Jesus? Raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they depart, they won't depart from the training. And they brought children to Jesus that he would what? Touch them. Parents, have an atmosphere in your home where Jesus can touch your children. Raise them up in such a way where they believe that he is the God of 2020 who still touches them. Bible says he brought children, they brought children unto him that he may touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said, let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. God wants to touch your children. Matter of fact, God wants to touch you. I thought about old Elijah. You remember Elijah in the Old Testament? Bible says he was one of the greatest prophets of all times. He was powerful, many miracles. In fact, he did seven major miracles in his lifetime. Elisha, the son, spiritual son of Elijah, comes back and does 14 major categorized miracles in his lifetime. But Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, who was all-powerful, who was, he even showed up in the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken, on the Mount of Transfiguration. This Elijah was a bad cat. But he found himself tired, exhausted, and wearied. In fact, I'll pick it up right here. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Friends, you are all a part of a journey right now. Every one of you. Give me five minutes and I'll close. Every one of you, you're part of a journey right now. 2020 will always go down in history as probably the most turbulent, troubled, Tested year in our generation. You know what? You're on a journey. Your family is on a journey. Your children are on a journey. And the Bible says that God sent an angel to touch Elijah because the journey. Now, at that time, he's running from Jezebel. At that time, he's suicidal. He said, God, that I would die. He wants to give up his life. And on top of that, he's got to deal with the prophets of Baal. He's got to deal with a, a Jezebel's husband, Ahab. He's got to deal with all of these things in his world. And he's tired. He's 
Stay with me. Please stay with me. He's tired. Could it be that you could be a great woman of God who can cast out devils, who can prophesy, who can speak life, but yet get exhausted and tired to the point where you have run out of faith? I know you're a mighty man of God, and you can sing the raptors down, and you can wave a hand and folk get slain in the spirit. But could it be that a little leaven leaven the whole lump? A little agitation. You remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. The word sifting, it wasn't a TKO knockout, but a little agitation here. Y'all not talking to me today. A, a, a little friction on the job. A little unknown with the money, right? A little stress with the employer, right? A little this, a little that, a little distraction, a little diversion, a little sifting, a little shaking. And you will cut somebody out in a heartbeat. You're a time bomb ticking. Y'all still ain't liking what I'm saying. I almost feel like I'm preaching to myself today. I, and I know, I know I teach other preachers, don't you ever do that when you're preaching, right? But we get to a place. Kind of made me wonder how I keep them going under. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. But don't push me. Because I'm wet. Close to the edge. <laughs> I'm about to lose. <laughs> and then about 20 years later, the new song came out. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind. Up. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's have the mind of Christ and get back to the word of God. Number three, and I close, if, 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 if we can touch God, and if we allow God to touch man, we should touch one another. Give me three minutes. We can touch one another. I thought about Acts chapter 2, 42. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They sold their possessions. They sold their goods and divided among them all as anyone who had need. And continually daily in the temple, continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who, were being saved. I love that passage of scripture. Why? Because they were all together. Nobody lacked among them. They checked upon each other. They fellowship with each other. They affirmed each other. They held each other accountable. Nobody became an island. Nobody was over independent. Nobody was isolated, but they were together. If there's ever been a need for saints to be together. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people talk about the loyalty of the frats and sororities, the loyalty of this group, of this club, of this Masonic Lodge, of this Eastern Star. I think the church should be the greatest fellowship, the greatest brotherhood, the greatest, I'm so sick and tired of sinners affirming one another, but we killing one another. Uh, sinners are loving one another, caring for one another, 
visiting one another, blessing one another. And here we are, the body of Christ. We turn on each other. We're disloyal. We hate. We got crab bucket mentality. We don't stand each other, but yet come to church for an hour and a half and act like everything's all right. I don't like when I see the comparison and hear of all of the love in the world. But in the church, we struggle with insecurity. We struggle not having identity. And when people don't know their identity, they'll fight everybody. You can sit here and look at me with your self-righteous self when I ain't murdering no, you murder with your eyes. You murder with your mouth. I'm, I'm reading Paul, I'm reading Acts now, the latter part of Acts now, and I, I went back to chapter 20. I, don't, I really can't turn, I, I really don't have the time. I want to get there real quick, but I can't, I can't, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in 20, I'm in 23 now, but I was reading Acts chapter 22, and it just kept talking about the mob, the mob. They said that there were people who attacked Paul they didn't realize he was a Roman citizen. Had to realize that they would ever put a hand on him because it was against the law to touch a Roman citizen. Paul said, not only am I a Roman citizen, I'm from Saul of Tarsus. I am a Jew, but I'm also a Roman citizen. And the Bible said that the mob cried louder, even the more. And it reminds me of the social media mob because the Bible says clearly some didn't even know why they were hating on Paul. They just kept shouting. I said, that reminds me of now. People don't have facts. People don't have proof. But they just joining the crowd and killing anybody they can kill who don't agree with them online. It's nothing but a modern-day mob. They're fighting and scratching, clawing, discrediting, hating, killing. And a lot of that ain't nothing but old-fashioned bullying online. It's a mob. And when you look back at Scripture, you come to realize that we should be together, not fighting one another. I know we have a lightning rod in the, in the White House. I realize that it's the imagery and the depiction of hate. But we got to find a way to keep praying. We got to find a way to stay together. We got to find a way to keep trusting the Lord. They had all things in common. Nobody was hungry in that church. Nobody should be hungry right now in our church. Nobody should be battling depression in our church. We have Thursday night Bible studies. I see very few people other than the faithful few. I'm trying to figure out why. Because these are the same ones who are writing little letters and emailing, I'm leaving the church because I don't feel connected to the church. Well, well, devil, don't nobody feel connected in the last four months to the church. We ain't been here hardly. Duh. And the few lifelines we have out, you ain't receiving them. We put together a COVID-19 task force team. Day one. I hadn't heard no other churches do this. We're going to put together. And listen, every member gets a phone call, gets a visit if need be. Are you okay? Our vulnerable older saints, do you have any needs in your home? Can somebody run errands for you? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we pray for you? We can't have communion now, but we'll have communion out there in the parking lot. You can't go, okay, we'll bring communion to you. So we've tried to do everything we can do 
But here come Peter talking again. Be sober, be vigilant, because that old devil would love to use this season to get you to backslide. And you can blame it on COVID. You can blame it on President Trump. You can blame it on the Antifa. You can blame it on the rioters. The truth of the matter is you have left your first love. And he told you months, if not years ago, that these trying times were coming. We laughed, we played, we fell asleep, but he told us in the word, in the last days, perilous times would come. Trying times would come. I believe I'm in the book, First Peter, I see him in First Timothy 4. And now that we're here, we don't know what to do. I want you to close this, I want to close this message by reminding you of these three things. Touch heaven. Touch God. Let God touch you wherever you need it the most. If it's healing, ask for healing. If it's joy, ask for joy. Come on, brother William. If, it, if, it's, if it's hope, ask for hope. If it's reconciliation, ask for reconciliation. You're here today. You say, Pastor, I need salvation. Let me look at this camera right here. I want to talk to those who may not know the Lord. I can never, ever, ever underestimate somebody today who doesn't know the Lord. We've entertained you long enough, kept your attention long enough to keep you to this point. There is no void or there is no substance that will fill the void in your heart other than Jesus. And I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about church membership. We're not talking about writing an envelope and giving a gift to the church. The greatest gift you can give is your soul to Jesus. We're beginning to wonder, has God allowed COVID-19 to get the church out of his comfort zones, but to get the world out of their conveniences? Get us back to a place where we're totally dependent upon God and God's word. My brothers and sisters in this room today, May we take it our responsibility to touch one another. An affirming touch, a loving touch, a supportive touch. Pick up the phone and call somebody. Take a moment and visit somebody if you can. If you can have visitors, let somebody love on you. Write a handwritten note, it ain't gotta be uh, 30 pages long take a little postcard and baby I'm thinking about you today I love you I can't wait to see you in church soon not know how far that could go the next time you go into prayer ask him to touch you he touched Elijah there was a man in the New Testament who, who was blind Jesus touches him he says according to your faith be it unto you and the man said I believe the Bible says God healed his blindness May he touch you where you need touch the most. Please stand to your feet. May, may, may you touch God in worship and in prayer and in the word and in spirit. And when those two have been accomplished, what do we do next? We touch one another. We have no time for, for, for chivalry, 
civil rivalry, okay? Sibling, rivalry siblings, fighting with brothers and sisters. Y'all can tell I'm really tired today. I'm, I'm crazy tired right now mentally. Forgive me. What's it called? Help me out, Dr. Cashmere. What? You didn't say it right either. You didn't say it right. You didn't say it right. Does anybody know what it's called? Sibling rivalry? Not civil rivalry, right? Sibling fighting with your brothers and sisters. How about that? All right. It's so important. In these days, you seek restoration, seek reconciliation, all right? Don't you go to bed at night mad at nobody. Get it right, all right? Seek the forgiveness, wipe the slate clean. We all need a touch from God, but we also need a touch from each other. 